This is Triathlon Therapy with your host, Danny McKenna, professional athlete and coach, Tim Reed, and... That's too much time. Look at Steve McKenna. Steve, what are you doing, Steve? That's too much time. Advantage Reed. Danny, Steve, I want you to meet my good friend Dylan, who I thought would be great to have on the on the podcast to chat about um, his journey from couch potato sloth on a on a couch <laughs> to um, actually getting quite fit and cracking out a pretty incredible time of sub three hours at Gold Coast Marathon with you know coming from a very low base of fitness and we talked to some pretty elite athletes out there and I thought it'd be good to bring someone on a little bit more relatable <laughs> uh, one of the, a common man um and so Dylan welcome to the show um I'm Thank pumped you. to have you on first of all let's talk about what a mess you were <laughs> <laughs> well the, you know what the, the, thanks for having me on the show firstly um and this all started when Reedy colluded with my wife on what to get me for um, for my birthday, which was back in March. And and Reedy suggested to my wife that the perfect gift for me would be an entry into the marathon and a DEXA scan, so a full body scan to see if, how fat I actually was. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a it was a not so gentle nudge that I'd um I'd got myself in a pretty bad shape and to be honest I had but I hadn't really thought about it that way I didn't even think I was in that bad shape but looking back on it it uh, um I was I was the classic dad bod I'd, I was drinking every weekend I was not taking care of myself and um got to a point where Reedy and I went for a run one day this was the first first run back into it and I think I had to stop like four times because I was so unfit and walk um, and that was only what four months ago I think we ran 5K and we were running about <laughs> seven-minute K pace. And and years ago, I'd run with Dylan, and he was he's actually quite a talented runner. Had done an ultra marathon, um, very well actually, and and was yeah definitely definitely had had running as a bit of a gift. But I was even shocked with how bad it was when we went for that first jog. Um, Sorry to sorry to cut you off, Dil, but just had to emphasize how shit you were. <laughs> I was, and I'm I'm sure you'll you'll um you'll be able to show show everyone the before and afters. But um, once I had that goal of the marathon set in place, I was able to really focus on on um on something, and and I really took it seriously. And and having Reedy there to to help me through it was was um a godsend because i'd i'd run like like i said i'd run an ultra marathon before but in the past i'd just run for fun so i'd never actually run with any purpose or goal or structure around my running so it was nice to have the week set for me and planned by ready and and i just went out there and i and i didn't realize how how many um you know zone two runs i would be be doing which made it quite pleasant rather than just going out there and flogging myself and trying to do PBs every single run, which is what I used to do. Um, so getting that knowledge from Reedy and and um, and helping with that was was actually really really helpful. Um, do you guys cut me off and throw in any questions you want, Steve and Danny? But I wanted to go back, I guess, to start with. Um, you were vegan, and you know I'm, I certainly understand that. For some people, from it for ethical reasons, were you were you eating vegan um, for health reasons or ethical reasons? And how did we change? How did you change your approach with that? Um, because it was a big shift in diet for you. I think. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah, you, you go. <laughs> I, I think I think there there was a holistic approach to my whole lifestyle uh, when when this all kind of happened. It all kind of it, it all kind of happened coincidentally. Um, so I, I feel there was three major shifts in my life four months ago. Um, I was drinking too much and I, and I, I realised I had a – I wouldn't say I had a bad drinking habit, but it was becoming enough of a problem for me that I needed to change that as well. Um, so I stopped drinking and I, I'd been vegan for six years um, and 
I went vegan for animal welfare um, reasons at the very beginning. And uh, I do believe that you could be vegan in a healthy way, but I feel it's a much harder diet to follow healthily um, than, than a meat, um, meat carnivore, not carnivore, but like the omnivore approach. It's, it's much easier to eat a healthy, clean diet with a meat protein and vegetables rather than trying to figure out some fancy uh, vegan meal. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, went, I stopped eating, I stopped eating, uh, I stopped, sorry, I stopped drinking, I started eating meat and I started training quite heavily uh, for this marathon. And they all kind of happened around the, you know, pretty much the exact same time. So um, I found for me, especially with, I had two kids at the time when I started and in between all this, I've actually had a third third daughter. So I've got, I've got three, three kids. Um, I found it super easy to uh, you know, cook a steak or a piece of chicken and, and cook some vegetables. And I had a super clean meal and I had, didn't have to think about it. So from a from an ease point of view and, and from an ethical point of view, um, you know, organic, grass-fed, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to live in Byron Bay where where those um, ethical ethically sourced meats are, uh, you know, easily accessible. So, you know, I know that's a privilege for, for some. So it was it was quite easy to, to move back and, and I love the taste of meat anyway. It's not like I ever – it's not like I ever stopped enjoying – the taste of meat so it's not like it was a hard thing to go back to and I just found from a lifestyle point of view it was much easier to maintain um, a healthy diet uh, on a meat uh, with meat involved in my in my diet. Are you just eating less meat to kind of stick with your uh, morals on what you thought you started doing vegan with? No sustainable? uh, yeah I'm, I'm going more down the sustainable path and and you know, Reedy and I came up with a plan. Obviously, needed to lose a fair bit of weight before the marathon, and and um, Reedy actually sent me a graph. Uh, I was I was 84 kilos when we started this journey, and he and the, and the goal was to go sub three. And he sent me a graph with every kilo of um, weight that I lost, how much faster I would get. So I was like, <laughs> all right, shit, I've actually if I can lose a if I can lose a fair bit of weight here. Um, I, I, it will be beneficial for, for my marathon. So um, it wasn't that I was eating less meat. I just was started to eat less in general. Yeah, so I eat two, I, I, I intermittent fast now and I eat two meals a day. My first meal is at um, 11, 11.30. I push it out as long as I can, but generally by 11, um, I'm starving. Uh, and I'll have I'll have a steak or a piece of chicken and some vegetables, and then I try not to eat it all until dinner time. I find when I've done a long run, um, I find it easier not to eat. I'm just not hungry if I've if I've trained, um, you know, heavily for myself at, on that day. Um, and then yeah, have dinner and, and that's it. So it's generally just two meals a day from now, and I, I quite enjoy it. I don't like eating breakfast anymore. I think for context for most of our listeners are triathletes and um, intermittent fasting, I think certainly a good approach for weight loss and health when you're doing the amount of training you are or were, which is, you know, sort of six to eight hours a week. Um, I think triathletes just, just take that with a, with a grain of salt um, that it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely different when you're doing 15 to 20 hours of training, you know, you, you can't be in too much for caloric deficit for, too often or things you'll end up sick like steve all the time um yeah. so <laughs> i fast the thing, every day as well <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too i think is that i'm certainly as a coach i'm certainly not anti-vegan and i think it's very much down to people's um gut type and and what they tolerate and people can change that too um you know through you know you can do a, a fasting system where you or even going carnival for, for a certain period of time can actually reset your gut bacteria and then you can bring back a lot more plants that you weren't tolerating and all sorts of things like that. But, yeah, I mean, I've known triathletes like Joe Gambles who who seemed to really thrive on a vegan diet and did it well. Um, and then, again, he had to put a lot of work into it, though. And I think, um, I think like what you said, I'm very much of the ethical uh, train of thought in that I really want to know where my meat comes from to the point that, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in a paddock with a friend slaughtering the cow to get ready for a quarter cow to come into my freezer because I do think 
there's major issues there and i would never want to suggest you know rpg or as a coaching company that we push people down the <laughs> you gotta eat meat path <laughs> I, I want i want people to be healthy and i want them i do want people to know what how things get on their plate i think that's super important and to yeah. not not live in ignorance <laughs> Really, that weight to speed ratio that Dylan talked to, is that something you did or something you can talk to? It comes out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are, there's plenty of um, like, you know, weight versus running calculators online. The thing to remember, though, is it's very much if you don't lose strength, power, if you, you know, if you stay healthy. So just losing that weight isn't necessarily going to equate to that much but certainly for most people if it was just losing body fat percentage or a body fat mass most people are going to get faster you know i know there's this big thing mm. with uh, christian blumenfeld being a big dog and everyone going oh i can actually be really heavy and race really fast and i'm like yeah he's also got a vo2 max in the 90s and all of us mere mortals unfortunately with running uh it's basic physics that weight does play a huge role um but also on the other side for triathletes is once you get too lean, your swim and bike starts to really suffer. And obviously there's other issues with immunity and all that sort of things. But for running, skinny, skinny does help. <laughs> Can I um, just mention that uh, seeing Christian in person, he's actually not as big as everyone thinks. Just so everyone knows, he's just got a weird shaped chest. Yeah, yeah I'd I agree with that. All right, the next thing, I guess, talk to me a bit more about the training deal. I think people would be interested about your you, – you did touch on it, but you were that classic example of someone, oh, I run this loop and every time I run it, I try and get faster and almost the worst way you could train. How did yeah. you change? <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 yeah like, like what you said, I've, I had run a couple of ultra marathons years ago and i just done it off my own accord. Um, and I'd never trained in any specific way whatsoever with any knowledge. So um, Reedy brought me on and um, made me understand that running slow is better and building that that base up. So that's what we did for, for, for a fair while until we started actually bringing any speed work into it at all. Um, so as, as Reedy says, run at a conversational pace. Um, and that's quite an enjoyable pace. You just kind of, it's kind of cruising. So we'd run. I, I still ramped up quite a bit because I went from zero to you know to a hundred basically. Um, but we would do typically I would run five times a week, um, and that would include one long run of you know two hours, not ninety minutes to two hours, and then a bunch of forty-five minutes to. Um, and our runs now all kind of at that zone two heart rate um, level, and then and then we gradually increased the speed work. But that was also quite tricky because um, through this process, uh, like I said before, I've, I've had a, um, a a new baby, so it did get quite tricky juggling um, training, work, two young kids, and then having a baby on top of that as well. So. Um, it was it was a tricky uh, training block to fit everything in, but I guess you know we we got there in the end, and we just had to kind of work around and be flexible. Um, I want to quickly talk a bit more about drinking, uh, and you know, not from a judgmental space at all, because you know, you know that I've had my own issues with probably drinking too much at or getting into the habit of just drinking too regularly. Um, the was there a pro was there a process or a time period where it was really hard like when you when you stopped drinking was there weeks where you're like geez this is actually pretty challenging to not drink given it was such a habit of oh it's friday sweet you know and 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 when you yeah. got kids it's like oh just like need to <laughs> need to de-stress yeah. a little bit yeah yeah so for me my drinking was on the weekend so it'd be uh, friday saturday sunday thing and if i hadn't had a single drink during the week um i would feel like i need i could reward myself for drinking you know on a friday night and drink quite heavily so um i would drink you know a bottle of wine and a couple of beers in a night and, I, and it got to the point where i felt you know completely fine the next day um and i just realized that it wasn't the kind of it was a bit of a slap in the face it wasn't I'm, I'm a dad and it wasn't the um 
it's not what I wanted my kids to see me as a drinker and, you know, to always have a, you know, beer or a glass of wine in my hand. I wanted them to grow up and not have that in their, in their mindset. Um, and I just realized it was becoming a bit of a habit. So I completely cut myself off and it, it just coincidentally happened when we started training. Um, and I completely, completely cut myself off. And, and for the first month and a half to two months, it was super easy not to drink because I was really motivated. You know, I had this new goal um, set for for the marathon. Um, I was training hard and I started to feel good about myself and I could start to see some, you know, some of the um, some of the benefits for not drinking. Like, you know, feeling a bit more energized. I was feeling healthier. Um, it's actually now um, that I'm finding it harder not to drink because I still don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that that goal of the marathon's over and and um, there's no purpose behind my training anymore, and then I've told me I need to start training for something else, and my wife said no already. Um, it's it's now that I'm finding it harder because it feels like I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, and now I'm like, okay, well maybe I could have a beer, but it, I feel then it opens the door back up to, um, you know, where I was, and I don't want to go down that path, so I'm fine. I'm actually finding it harder now not to drink than I did when we when I first started. Bill, did um did you go to Reedy and say I want to go sub three hours? Is that the first thing you said to him, or did you guys take a couple of weeks to figure out what you know your Gold Coast Marathon goal could could be? Uh, I actually can't remember how that the goal. I actually couldn't tell you how the goal eventuated. I know we I know we spoke about it, and, and Reedy has said. I am a good runner um, and I, I could do quite well there. Um, and then um, he started to talk about the, the the goal of a sub three marathon being quite, for, for an amateur runner like myself, being quite a um, quite an achievement, you know, that's, that a lot of runners will never get to. And I was like, well, let's, let's fucking give it a go. Let's see how, let's see how close I could get. Um, and so we, once we set that goal, I was, I was pretty focused on it and making making sure I got it um, to the point where I was shitting myself um, standing on the on the start line, not knowing whether I'd get it or not. And to be honest, the night before I um, I was staying at Tim Van Berkel's place and I get a text message from Reedy, which was like a paragraph long. I'm like, what's this about? And I should I should actually pull it up and read it. And <laughs> it was basically. It was basically instilling fear in me that um, and how serious I had to take the marathon and make sure that I got the sub three. <laughs> Sabotage. So, yeah. so as you know, Steve, I play a different mental approach with different people depending on how they were. And every time I talk to Dylan, I think maybe he was sort of dissociating himself a little bit from the stress to try and calm himself down, but I just felt like, he wasn't stressed enough. Like he, <laughs> he, hadn't, he hadn't organized his race pack pickup. He was all, and I was like, all right. And I sent him a long message and I said, Dylan, this isn't just about you. This is my ego on the line. <laughs> Take this seriously. Stop fucking around. Yeah, <laughs> and then suddenly he got nervous enough that I knew there was a good chance. <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you treat Steve day before race three? Nah, Steve's Steve's pretty good. Like, I don't need to – I think when someone's got their own routine and when – Steve's pretty relaxed but also got a bit of a calm focus about him. The one thing I find amazing about Steve, and sorry to go off topic, is he doesn't get – you don't get stressed with the social interactions the day before. Like, you're just out there at the expo talking to people. All that. Like, it's a real gift. I mean, I used to be, like, talking to someone and hardly listening to what they say because I'm like, I want to get back to my hotel and rest, you know? Yeah, but everyone's doing that to me. No, I, I'm just chewing people's ear off. <laughs> <laughs> just boring the hell out of everyone. Everyone's like, oh, get away from that guy with the big nose. <laughs> All right, let, um, let's go into the actual race deal because um, there was there – was, it wasn't a perfect prep and I think every person, every dad out there, working dad with young kids needs to understand – you can't, you're not going to have a perfect prep. You're going to have weeks that just go to shit. And I, I try and remind people of that before we even get started because people have a bad week and it's easy to throw in the towel and then think it's all done and dusted. And um, so it wasn't the perfect prep, 
but a lot of the a lot of the work there was done i knew that it was going to be very close for you and it would probably come down to mental toughness more than anything just talk me through the the actual race yeah well yeah just i'll, I'll, I'll rewind it a couple of weeks um in back into that prep so well, my my wife gave birth to a to a, a beautiful baby girl i spent a week in hospital i didn't run a single okay that week because I was juggling hospital going back home looking after the other two one of the other ones uh, got severe gastro and ended up in hospital herself she's two um, so dealing with that as well and then uh, my wife got an infection from uh, from the from the cesarean and ended up back in hospital with staff for another week um, so I'm juggling the hospital again trips back to the hospital back home looking after the kids and then the week before the marathon uh, happened, my two-year-old got croup um, and was severely sick again. Um, and one night I was with her and she, I had my mouth, I was talking, I had my mouth open, she coughed directly into my mouth. I was like, oh, oh this, is, this is it for me, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to even make it to the race line. Um, so, the, yeah, the last four weeks was absolute hell. It was, there was no real you know, structure around my running. It was it was um, getting it in where I could and it wasn't that much. But I guess um, for me, it was my first marathon. So ignorance is really bliss because I didn't know what I was about to, to, to do. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd never been to a marathon or any race like that. The, 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 the ultras I'd done, you know, been in the bush and there's barely anyone there anyway. So it wasn't like I was used to a big crowd. Um, and I was quite taken aback when we got there in the morning and there was thousands of people there. And the plan was to, um, we did have a plan. Uh, it was to stick, stick to 4.15 pace. Uh, and as Reedy knows, uh, I like to always try and run a little bit faster. And he's like, I can stick to that 4.15 pace. <laughs> and he's like, there's going to be a three-hour pacer. Sit with the three-hour pacer and then save your legs and you know, in the last 5Ks, if you've got any left juice left in, give it a bit of a nudge then. Um, I went into the start gates with, this, you know, the, the, the um, Section A, which is the sub three-hour runners, and there was, I don't know, a couple of thousand people in there. I couldn't find the pacer. And um, and the gun went off, and I was still trying to find him, and I realised he was probably 100 metres behind me, uh, and there was no, absolutely no way I was going to get back there in time for the race. So... Uh, the plans went out the, the window immediately to stick with, this, with the three-hour pacer and um, I just had to pace myself. And as per, per usual, I went out too fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was sitting at around four minutes to 4.05 pace, um, but I felt really good. Um, but again... <laughs> Everyone says that exact <laughs> sentence, but it felt really easy. Or felt oh, it was really easy. easy. Yeah. And then you look at their yeah. heart rate and you go, yeah, that's just adrenaline, bud. Like, you're not good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I'd probably won, I won the award for looking at my watch the most throughout the race. I was just <laughs> consistently checking every single K what my pace was, and it was always too fast. So I'd try and drop back to, to 4.15 and... Um, I, I couldn't. So in the end, uh, after about 10 Ks, I just gave up at, at that. And um, I just kind of ran at what I felt was good. Uh, really also gave me some good, which I think was really good advice, was to carry a belt um, and, and put my gels in the belt you know, with, with a little bit of water mixed into them. So they were easy to consume. It was a nerd belt, wasn't it, Gil? It, w- it was. It wasn't a nerd belt. It's fantastic. It fit really well. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so I, I had my I had my gels and I was consuming those throughout throughout the race. What I didn't realise was I, I consumed too much and I actually ran out <laughs> of my gels at around the 30k mark. And by around 33k's is um, is when the wall hit me and, and it hit me fucking hard. I um, I didn't. I didn't know if I was. Yeah, I'd been running. I'd been running um, four oh five, four ten pace. So I, in my mind, I had a little bit of time baked up to to try and get to that sub three. And um, that last last what was it? You know, nine k's was absolute hell. Uh, my my mind just wanted me to stop. My body was was physically trying to stop me. Um, and my pace did slow. I think I did a four thirty um, k in there somewhere. Uh, and I, I just kept looking at my watch, going, "Okay, if I could actually walk right now, I've got, I've got, I could walk a little bit, and I'd still have enough time to to get sub three. 
Um, and I was trying to do all these math calculations in my head. Okay, if I walk for 10 seconds here, but every time I went to walk, I would just say, no, nah, fuck it, keep running. And I just kept having this internal battle with my mind and my body to keep running. And uh, thankfully I did because my pace kept slowing and I, uh, I did get across the line under sub three, but fuck me, it was hard and um, it was scary that last two Ks. That's impressive in a, in a short build, a short prep. I know Reedy, when he told me he was doing no drinking and two weeks later had a drink with me and said, oh, yeah, I'm starting next week. <laughs> and then he did it every, every race. He kept going, just don't tell the guys. <laughs> <laughs> I did do. Um, I did end up doing about five weeks. And just to, to concur with Dylan's experience, man, you, whenever you really want to lose a bit of weight, like I was way too heavy for a marathon, 71 kilos. I used to race at 61 when I won world champs. And uh, I dropped like three kilos in like five weeks from just literally not changing anything but just cutting out sort of Arvo beers on a weekend sort of thing. And uh, it makes a huge difference to obviously to recovery and lots of other things. It's not, it's not good. Um, but when Dill came across the line, he, he had properly gone to the well and that's what I've love to see because it, I think just putting that pressure on and putting that pressure on himself, there can be a difference. You know it, Steve. There's a difference even in cans. If you weren't in second and you were suffering like you were for that and you were in sixth, I'm pretty sure you would have run seven or eight minutes slower and had a few walks yeah. and whatever. And I'll Dylan had that. Walks. Yeah, Dylan had that look in his eyes. He crossed the finish line. There's a few of us waiting there um, and – we i was getting really nervous as it got closer and closer and then i was expecting this huge hug as he came across the line and he just looked straight through me like he could not he did not know where he was and i took him over to the took him over to the barrier and i'm like what do you need do you need some water or time and he goes i want some, i want some prime <laughs> I, I, I was pro, I was proper cooked, it, and it took me quite a while to recover. I didn't. Um, people were kind of talk, coming up to me, trying to talk to me, and I would just say, "I got to sorry, I can't talk to you right now," and I'd just have to walk off. Um, yeah. I, it, it, I, I was completely out of it, and I, I had to basically hold Reedy's shoulder for about half an hour um, to lead me around the the. Um, <laughs> the area because I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk properly. I was, yeah, I was in a bad way and that's how hard I, I pushed myself. And uh, I, I only did it for you, Radio. If, if it wasn't for that text message the night before, I would have done it at 3.30. <laughs> I didn't want to let you down. Were you, um, were you easily irritated in that state for the last 9K or were you just in pain? Uh, uh, as in, uh, do you mean irritated as in um, like mentally? Like if, like, or? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, like, moody, like, for me, if I'm in that state, it's the only time you'll see me be rude to someone if they step yeah. in the way accidentally or, you know, it's it sucks, yeah. but you're, like, near death and you, you're just, like, for some reason you become an asshole. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. Uh, it it, it all felt to me like the last 9Ks, um, and I don't know if it was just the, the, the track, but it felt like there weren't as many spectators on the on the track in the in that last little loop because you loop up past the finish line and, and come back around and it just sounded like in my head felt like everyone had gone quiet like no one was cheering um and if someone did you know because that you had your name on your um thing someone would go go dylan as a bit of a joke or kind of push you on and it started it started <laughs> to piss me off yeah sympathy <laughs> i get like it that it started to piss me off. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. I know, I know how far I'm gonna go. All right. Or like, if they yell, and it's too loud, and you're like, oh, yeah, fuck, too loud, mate. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know the feeling. I know, I know that feeling now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Did, like, I, got get I got angry with my own apparel. So I was like, 20k in, and my quads were wrecked, and I'm like, I feel fine, but I just know, okay, you haven't done the mileage at the right pace and so i just threw my sunnies on the ground real angry like don't need them <laughs> then, then 5k later I'm, i get my hat and i'm like get rid of this <laughs> and then i'm an object really copper <laughs> i don't know what they did to me but yeah i was like <laughs> you did that at cans really when um it was the covid year you were racing ironman cans and yeah. i'd already vomited and pulled out and i see you with about 10k to go 
<laughs> also, my laugh's a bit weird because I fucking can't. I'm holding back coughing fits. But um, you you had one of those Le- Le- Legionnaire hats, the flap at the back. <laughs> it really started to piss you off, obviously. <laughs> so you threw it at the bin, thinking it would just go straight in the bin hole. And it, for some reason, at cans they always cover the bin holes with like a. I don't know, cardboard or something. It's, you're not allowed to use the bins. It's weird. And then Reedy goes, for fuck's sake, <laughs> who blocked the fucking bin? <laughs> Just threw it on the floor and ran. <laughs> and I was like, go Reedy. <laughs> yeah, that hat, that hat was pissing me off as well. Just, <laughs> that, that's why I only wear budgies because I know I can't take them off. <laughs> <laughs> I started with shorts. I just got angry at them. <laughs> well, mate, we thank you for coming on. I think I hope um, people out there who you know it's a very it's, it's a common goal, and and I think it's good to hear what it took for you um, coming from yeah a pretty bad place in terms of health and fitness and be able to tick that off in in pretty emphatic style and and really show that mental strength plays a huge role in these things as well. So congrats. And yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Cheers guys. No, it was, um, it was a, it was a, a fun journey. Most of the time, if you do go through something like this, you set yourself a goal, um, be prepared to put the, to the pain into it because it fucking hurt a lot of, a lot of the time. And then the actual race hurt as well. So you've got to be able to put yourself in that place where, you um don't really want to go, but I also love sadistically hurting myself. So, you know, that's something you've got to be prepared to do. But um yeah, and no, I was really stoked with the outcome and it wouldn't have happened without the um the mentor and guidance of Mr. Tim Reed. So thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. No, it was a pleasure. It was uh inspiring to watch and actually got me training for a marathon as well. So that was cool. Yeah. <laughs>
because I had two broken arms for it, which is what got me into the running to begin with. Uh, I would add in more long rides just to do really pick up that metabolic flexibility without the stress of run injuries. So having a three hour ride once or twice a week would be unreal if I could fit it in. So that would be one thing I'd change. And then the only other difference would be probably downhill repeats to condition my quads more to the um to the to the loading um or if my hrv and recovery was going really well i'd include more just sub threshold work at sort of that 345 340 pace just sustained tempo to get the legs a bit harder but yeah it was it's cool i'd recommend anyone who hasn't done a marathon there's a definite vibe to it amongst everyone you're running with like i had i lost all my gels right at the start fell out of my i had a bottle in my budgies which was dumb and so the first 10k, I'm running around the little group. I'm in saying, "You got a gel, mate? You got a spare gel?" <laughs> and then everyone was so kind um, and just hooking me up with gels along the way. So <laughs> it was good. Love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, it made me realise too how impressive your 226 was off the back of no real marathon prep in the COVID era. When, when was it? 2021. Yeah, it was like that, two weeks after Winnie was born as well. So it was yeah. pretty bad for sleep wise, but mental. That's I just think um, uh, everyone everyone sees Gold Coast and wants to do the Gold Coast one. Everyone's like, I've I've had a few messages um, about it, either from someone I coach or just a random. They're like, oh, I, w- I wouldn't mind doing Gold Coast next year. Your plans yeah. always change. You see, you're like, oh, I wouldn't mind doing Roth next year. <laughs> um, when you see that, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go to Kona one day. And then every 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 race you see or watch happen, you're like, I'm going to do that next year, and you'll probably just do like one out of ten that you say you're going to do. But Gold Coast definitely, I'm not going to say I'm going to do it next year, but I want to do it one day. It's it looked you, awesome. I mean, you'd have to say with a really proper prep, especially if you did it before you lost too much fitness from um, finishing your pro years. If you did it right near the end of your your pro career, which I probably, uh, yeah, I I would say you'd be what two twenty. Two, two twenty-three, possibly. If you really, yeah, yeah, probably. I, I'm not Staying. sure really. I would. Uh, it depends how much time I gave the actual goal of, you know, if it was a twelve-week marathon build after an Ironman, like you do your last Ironman and you did well, and your swimming and biking fitness is there, and then ditch some of that to do more Ks. Yeah, maybe low twenties or. What is interesting? I was running in a group with Lockie Kieran, obviously a former pro. Burkle and like we're the big guys in the group like we've got shoulders and <laughs> arms and you're like everyone it's just yeah it's a very different build so that's the one thing as a triathlete I think maybe hinders you a little bit but um I don't know we sort of looked a bit healthier than most people do <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you you put us next to a normal sized human being and we yeah. look like a runner like a marathon yeah. runner <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy Okay, I just wanted to shamelessly promote a brand that I've just started up. It's called Nerd Belts, and uh, it's basically hydration belts that double as a race number holder. So any running or uh, triathlon event or even trail running event, it's pretty perfect, and it actually serves just as good a purpose in training. I'm finding that I'm pulling up from runs, obviously in a less of a hydration or uh, fueling deficit, so I'm recovering better and um, pulling up better. And in terms of racing, uh, I feel like it's a huge advantage. Um, I've always had a big problem with positive splitting my uh, my runs in 70.3s and Ironmans. And I'm happy to say that in my last three 70.3s, they've actually all been negative split runs. Um, and I'd put it down to hydration and fueling really. So if you want to help me out, check it out, nerdbelts.com or Instagram nerdbelts. And uh, I promise it'll help you out too. But I do also promise that you will look ridiculous if you wear one of these things. Um, I've even been stopped on a run once and called a suicide bomber with the two bottles on my hips. So yeah, look ridiculous, but you will also look ridiculously hydrated. So join me, become a nerd and uh, enjoy.
announced recently was the retirement of Ironman CEO. Reedy, you had some thoughts on this? Not a lot of thoughts. I, I didn't know Andrew personally. I'd had a couple of, um, you know, decent encounters with him. I think a lot of people love to um, rip Ironman, but you can't deny from a business perspective he did help the business grow. There's obviously mistakes along the way, a lot of triumphs. Um, the one thing I would say is when, as a business, they, Ironman cop a lot of flack for not supporting pros, which I don't actually think is based in reality. When you start to create value for a race and they know that you're starting to bring uh, customers to their brand, you start to get supported pretty well. Would I be correct in saying that, Steve? Yeah, so... That's that's what I've been thinking in my head every time I hear that, oh, the prize money's not enough. I'm like, why didn't Andrew Messick just reply to that when he was on How They Train? He could have just said, we pay appearance fees for those that are, um, are either bringing people in or whatever, you know. Um, so I haven't seen a huge amount of that because Oceana has way less money to hand out than um, USA and um, whatever um, Europe. But... Yeah, he could have just rep- – I don't know why he didn't reply with that, and instead he just ate a sandwich and came across disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely – yeah, I think it's far from a perfect tenure as CEO, but you can't deny some of the things he did did help Ironman really grow. I mean, it's, it's what cr- gave me, you know, 10 years of income, really, and it's giving you the same. And, and at the same time, I think if, if pros keep lining up on the start line – and you're not increasing the prize money, then who's really to blame there? You know, if, if pros want to make changes, they can band together and do something about it. But if you're not, you can't really complain. And, yep, it'll be interesting to see where Ironman go from here. Um, you know, it's always there's always a chance for things to be done better with a new CEO, but I don't think everything Andrew did was bad, even though people love to hate on him. I think uh, it's a business, and people keep forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't mess mess. Mess a cup. Mess, mess. <laughs> he didn't mess it up. He didn't mess the business up. Fuck! <laughs> I thought in my head that'll come out and that'll make sense. That was such a Tim Reed joke that you... <laughs> You've hung out with me way too long. <laughs> questions first question why does steve look like a lizard are his parents lizards or is he adopted steve um pg version (laughs) is that uh i rocked up after like two years of triathlon to just a friday night drinks with mates and i was wearing singlets um and my mate goes god you look skinny you look like a lizard it's gross (laughs) And and then um it just turned into um, he's like, you're pale and skinny and you've got scales and you're, and it's, and they go, and, and, and then someone just piped up and went, and you also stick dead flies in your missus beep and lick them out. That's, that's weird too. <laughs> that's the R rated part. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Reedy, can you and the team discuss carb manipulation? Uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a long-winded one. Um, first thing is that I think some athletes are inherently much better car um, fat burners than others. Um, the ratio of fats to carbs being burnt at sub-threshold intensities can be very different depending on how they were raised, what diet they ate, um, how much exercise they did growing up, all these sort of things. So it's a like most things that I have to answer it's carb manipulation is not a um I don't like to have one size fits all approach you tend to find pretty quick when you train with people you can almost see when they're really bad at burning carbs um obviously you can do some metabolic testing which is way better way of finding out whether that's something that needs to be worked on um carb manipulation I really like it for people who are time limited uh, I know there's coaches out there it's like oh you don't need to do it you just do six hour rides and I'm like yes that that is good and six hour rides do work better 
than carb manipulation. Nothing promotes fat burning ability like long sessions over three hours. Um, but I live in a real world where I understand age group athletes. And for them, I would say for 15 hours or less, there is still, I believe there's some benefit to doing some 75, 90 minute sessions where you might uh, do it on a, on low to zero carb for, for much of that, for an easier session. Um, and then I still think you've got to be careful not to be in too much of a caloric deficit overall. So you might still have some protein or fats before that or during, uh, depending on what you had the day, what the training was like the day before, what you've got going on after, after that. So a lot of it's context-based. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't recommend too much carb deprivation for people doing sort of like 25 to 30 hours of training with lots of intensity, unless they're in like a really easy base phase. And um, the easy way to think of it sometimes is, okay, what energy system do I want to use in this session? So if you're doing an easy zone two session, you're like, I'm going to be predominantly burning fats. I want to be. So I can probably do that relatively fasted. Fasted is probably not a good word. I can do it relatively low carb. Uh, and, you know, you, you don't want to be obviously too low on protein throughout the day and things like that, but that's okay. And then if you look at an interval session, you're like, well, this is going to be very glycolytic. I'm going to need to utilize my glycogen stores to really get to the intensity that I need. That's a session where you probably want to have eaten some carbs the night before to make sure you, you've got adequate um, glycogen loading, but also so that you're keeping blood sugar levels pretty high throughout the session. So, yeah, different approach for different people. There are some good benchmarks. If you can't get through a three-hour ride um, without having to stop at a bakery, like when I the first couple of years of my career, I'd be like an hour in and just be hunting carbs, you know, and Steve was not that dissimilar. Um, then it's probably something, it's almost certainly something you need to work on, and that's either through doing more volume, easy aerobic volume, or you can manipulate the carbs a little bit more. Or an hour and a half in and you're like, can I get two pies, a uh, chocolate donut with sprinkles and uh, a large mocha? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you ride with real cyclists and you start drinking real coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Like we, the last training camp that uh, our group did in Victor Harbour, and I think we got on the bike that early that, you know, four hours into the ride, it's still like quarter to 10 in the morning and we hit a bakery. It definitely feels like lunch and we're all throwing back meat pies and it's you know definitely what, still breakfast. That was before, that was before two hours into the ride. I remember going, all right, we've got another effort and everyone was already sitting, eating at the bakery. I was like, what's everyone doing? Aren't we doing more? Like, so we skipped that effort. We just ended up doing a bakery tour as we usually do as our group. <laughs> <laughs> Final question is for Steve, and it relates to what your prep for Ironman 70.3 Worlds looks like. Like three and a half weeks to Estonia, which is a halfway sort of race. Um, that'll be three weeks into the Europe trip, so we leave on Sunday. And I just don't think it's a smart move to do that race now. People sh maybe could send their opinions in because I'm very indecisive on this stuff. As Reedy knows, race. Don't don't send your opinions in, please. <laughs> <laughs> just pick and stick. I've never really liked the idea anyway. I wanted you to just focus on worlds. So okay. maybe well, yeah. Now it's yeah. just six weeks in Davos, uh, Switzerland. <laughs> so we're just I'll just do six weeks at altitude, and then off to the race. That that's I think it's the only way now because I've lost. I did no. Tra I, I did a pretty full on taper for cans compared to what I'd usually do. And then I had a week off completely. Then I trained 21 hours, which is all aerobic. So I have I've done, I did one hard session and then got sick. And it's not because of the hard session. It was just because Winnie had this horrible virus and it, the poor girl was in our bed every night. And same as what Dylan said before, there was one time where she coughed right in my mouth in the morning. And I was like, I was going to get it anyway because I shared her boogers last night. <laughs> It's so hard, like anyone listening who's about to have a kid or has a kid that isn't yet at daycare or that age, it's like you have a year where you just get sick incessantly. And even if they're not, I don't know, it's just a – but then everyone's immune system comes up a notch and it does get better. So hang in there. But, yeah, it's, it's 
brutal. Yeah. Um, Reedy, um, like lots of pros obviously um, are different, preps are different and all that. I know that for Steve, where he's at, he really thrives and, and performs well when the girls come with him now to races, not just like the weekend off, but, you know, week, two weeks before. Did you do much of that when, when you were in your, you know, racing five to ten times a year or whatever it was? No, and that's why I found it really hard and lonely, actually. Monica had her own career that she really wanted to pursue, um, which I think in some ways, like probably oversharing a bit, but we both regret me not going all in on it. I think we went all in on it 2015, 16. I had some great racing years, but then after that, it was a real juggle. And uh, there's a part of us that really regrets not going to the States for a good stint and going all in on it. Um, At the same time, you know, um, it's, you know, she's got a great established career now. So it was nice as I was, you know, to have both both of us working now. So, it, I found it really hard, and I think Steve, like I went over to Austria the year before I won World Champs, and like what Steve has discussed, I was so miserable and like just felt the pressure because you're in a hotel room by yourself, you're piling it on, you're not doing your day-to-day, and then 2016, totally different experience. Had my family up at Bar, just felt like normal, and I didn't do anything weird in terms of, you know, the just stuck to my normal routine and and also the way I totally viewed racing was completely different um you know my mindset was about so much more process driven than results driven and and it paid off but yeah I think it's uh it's particularly hard for Aussies because you've got to get to a certain point Steve's getting to that point now where he can afford to take his family with him but a lot of people can't and so it can be it can be a lonely hard career and it looks great on Instagram but there's a reason only a few people stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you heard Colin Chartier um, talk about his career, and he was like, if you talked to him and looked at his Instagram before all that, he was like, you know, you say, oh, where are you from? When I when I met him in Canada, he's like, nowhere. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, I don't know, where where you, where are you from though? Like, where you born? Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? He's like, oh, I just travel heaps. Um, so. Yeah, I was always on the road and I just live wherever I live. And I'm like, okay, so where's your mum and dad live? And he's like, LA. I'm like, oh, okay, where are you going after this? He's like, oh, I'm going back to LA. I'm like, so you live in LA. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, what I'm saying is it looks amazing. But then he talked on the podcast and, you know, he was so positive to me about how good everything is. And, you know, I travel and I've got no home. It's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, he's like saying he's depressed and the pressure's all too much. And so it's completely different. Um, whereas, yeah, I feel like I complain heaps and I'm actually conscious of that. So I feel like everyone gets the real story with me. Um, but yeah, it, please, someone just tell me if I'm complaining too much because I, I, I am told that at home a lot that I do complain too much. <laughs> <laughs>